before I go into the material, I want to, uh, first of all, t uh, thank the leadership of this church to be uh, for them to um, listen to what uh, the Lord has laid up on my heart in, uh, you know, allowing me to, to come uh, to present this. So I am uh, deeply grateful for the leadership that you have here. So when you, whenever you get a chance, please, on, on my behalf and on, on, on behalf of the church, if you would uh, thank them uh, for them to be willing to listen to the Lord and allowing me to, to speak to you. The second thing I want to say is that I'm not musical at all. Uh, I love worship. I've uh, been in, involved in so many different uh, revivals of uh, worship. Uh, I came from Ethiopia, and Ethiopia is known for land of wor uh, um, uh, revivals from uh, as far as 20, 25 years. Uh, so uh, I do have the experience. I do have, uh, I've taught this in different settings, and we've seen the, the response of uh, God doing, doing miracles in the church. So I'm not coming from uh, musical expertise um, aspect of this. I'm coming from uh, someone who has been taught by the Lord and uh, understand the patterns of things in the body of Christ. So um, like my brother Terry said, I'm not, I'm not here to, cor to correct you in any of the musical aspect of your worship, uh, nor I'm here to decide the, one of the, the <coughs> problems in the church of generational problems of whether we should be singing hymnal or contemporary songs. That's, that's not why we're here. I'm here to expose a little bit of uh, worship philosophy in, in the scripture. So you take that worship philosophy and apply it to however the Lord leads you in, in your context of church. So please be mindful of this. If you hear me promoting a certain aspect of worship, that's not what I'm intending to do. I'm just uh, here to, to give you some glimpse from the scriptures, as it should be with all kinds of church activity. I think we agree on this. Uh, needs to be driven from scriptural principle. So uh, that, this is the only thing that I would like to bring it to you. And thirdly, uh, I don't know how many of you are aware of this. I see some uh, uh, older generation, uh, some young people. But one thing that I have noticed, and I have, uh, I think, the scripture backing me with this, is that uh, the biggest problem uh, starts from a worship team in a church. I don't know if you have noticed this. Um, there is a reason for it. Satan was a, a worshiping angel. Because of his uh, loss of uh, position, the biggest area that he attacks in the body of Christ is the worship team. So if you were to track any division in the church, it would end in the worship team. So I really want you to understand the, magni the magnitude of worship in the positive, in the negative. The enemy is after worshipers. So it is not, um, 
no wonder we have trouble having the right worship in the church. And he doesn't want us to have that. So th th this is the context that I am coming out uh, to, to present to you uh, some of the materials here, okay? Um, I want to do a little bit of background. Uh, the, the, if you're following the, your, your outline, I've written um, John 4, 19, to 19 and 20. Um, after I prepared everything, I was reminded by the Holy Spirit to, to reference this as, as we go into, uh, into the lesson. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to John chapter 4. This is a very familiar area because it talks about um, worship when Jesus Christ met with the, the Samaritan woman. Um, in the, the idea, the, the uh, point of discussion quickly um, evolved from give me water, this and that, to worship. Okay, I just want to read 19 and 20 quickly so that we will have a context in which that we're doing this uh, worship training here. 19, John chapter 4, verses 19 and 20. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. This was her breaking point. Up until this time, she was arguing, you're a Jew. Why are you mingling with me? This is not, it shouldn't be happening. So after... Jesus Christ revealed himself to her, then you, she starts understanding that he is the prophet. Okay? Stop here. She was talking to him that, uh, you know, when the prophet comes, he will, he will let us know about a lot of things. We've been waiting for you. And he says that I am he. Now she knows that he's a prophet. Let me stop here and ask you a question. If you get to that point, if you had time with Jesus Christ and you know for sure that he is the prophet, of, uh, of God, what would you be asking after that? You know you got a very short time face to face with the, the greatest prophet, the expected Messiah. What would you ask him? Yeah. But most likely it would be more in the problematic area, right? I have this trouble in my, I've been, I've been meaning to ask you this. Thank you for the opportunity. Why, why do I have cancer? Why do I? But this woman, whom we do not have any information from the, the scripture that she was, she was exposed to the teaching of the New Testament, asked the Messiah one thing. It's about worship. Isn't that amazing? Her, her process of thinking is that if I have the worship thing right, my failed marriage of five husbands will be fixed. <laughs> Think of that. If I have the worship right, you tell me about the right way of worshiping. This mountain, that mountain, how to worship. Because if I do worship, then all of my problems will go away. I don't need to ask my problem. I need to ask the means of taking care of my problems. What is the right way of worshiping? Are, are, are you here? 
This is very important in the sight of God. How we worship is very important. Churches are missing it because we don't subscribe the right position for worship. It is just a space filler. We say three songs before preaching, and that's it. But really in the scripture, what it wants to communicate to us is if you get the, the worship thing right, you get 98% of Christianity right. Because it is about worshiping the right way to God. So based on that one, then jump to verse 24, and then we'll come back uh, from there. I will really quickly fly through the material here. Verse 24, he says that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He says that, get this, there has to be um, a union of, of uh, um, essence in worship. This is very important. If God is spirit, we're not. But he needs to be worshipped by truth and spirit. Something needs to happen to our worship for it to be compatible with the spirit filled spirit God. <laughs> so sometimes the problem that we have in the church is that uh, it, we, worship is a musical skill. Nothing more than that. So Jesus is saying that God is a spirit. If you really are going to reach him because of your musical skills, you won't. The musical, the musical skill needs to be bathed, needs to be saturated in the spirit to reach a spirit God. So the, the, these are the things that we're talking about when it comes to worship then, mainly. So, um, you know, as, as a background, there needs to be transformation in the body of Christ, especially in the worship team, in understanding of who we are worshiping and how we are worshiping God. And that is going to bring deliverance to the body of Christ. Okay? Any questions? Any ideas before we jump into this? And then I'll fly after that, I promise you. Anything? Cool so far? Okay. All right. The origin of worship. I, one of the things that I've, I've found out in my ministry is that we do not dig far enough in the scriptures to understand things. We stay at the surface level. Remember when Jesus was talking to Peter, he said that, you know, throw your net. Before that, what did he say? Come into the deep. Okay, so it is important for us to really exhaust the scriptures, push it all the way to the or origin of things. So in Genesis, I'm going to take you into the creation of worship as we know it. We know that worship existed before Genesis because in the kingdom of God there was worship. But when it was transferred over to humanity or to God's people, to God's kingdom here on earth, what does it look like? How does God wanted it to be represented? Not how we want it. In the West, there's this idea of that uh, we have a tradition that started from the Catholic Church. And we are really holding, hanging on to that as a doctrine of our, uh, you know, main things in the body of Christ. We really don't track it back to those days 
But that's where they started from. So we want to go beyond that into the scriptures and see the origin of it. Okay? Are you ready? Genesis 29, 34 to 35. I have the printout of the scripture there so you don't have to, you know, we save time. She became pregnant. This is uh, um, Jacob and uh, Rachel. Uh, not Rachel. Um, Leah. She became pregnant again, the fourth, the third child. We are on right now here. She became pregnant again and had another son. She said, now this time my husband will, be, uh, will show me affection because I have given birth to three sons for him. That is why he was named who? Okay, what do we know about Levi? Priest? The Levitical priesthood started from him. Okay? I'm going to point out two things for you so that you know where things are originating from. God chose Levi because of what his name means. His name means a cleaver of two, two people. Uh, she is saying that now my wife, my, my husband will cleave to me. This is the third child. There will be attraction between us and Levi will serve that. So God says that, Levi, you'll serve the same thing between me and my people. So the Levitical priesthood started from that name. It wasn't a random thing that God was like tossing a coin and saying, oh, Levi, I like that. Would you? No. There was a purpose for his creation, purpose for his birth. Judah is praise, the fourth child, and you'll see Next here. She became pregnant again and another son. She said, this time I will praise the Lord. This is why she named him Judah. And she stopped having children. Isn't that amazing? So in, a, in, a, in her experience of trying to pull Jacob to love her, she got to the third child and it didn't work. The fourth child, she said that I'm not going to look at the human thing. I am turning my face to God and worship him. She called him Judah. So the beginning of worship is a turning eye of dependence on, on a natural level and putting our eyes on God. That's the beginning of Judah, praise and worship. So we really need to understand how God wants that to be functioning in the body of Christ as well. So how do we bring about that change of people to be disconnected from the natural process and laying their hands, uh, their eyes on God and expecting him to do work in their life? That's what worship team is, the worship process is. That's the beginning point. From there then... Uh, no more looking at the, her husband, complete focus on the Lord. Then what is the purpose of worship then from the scriptures? Then Judah again gives us a little bit of a, a, a glimpse in Judges 1, 1 and 2. After Joshua died, the Israelite asked the Lord, who should lead the invasion against, against the Canaanite and launch the attack? The Lord said what? The men of Judah should take the lead. Isn't that amazing? Was Judah the eldest son? No. 
why why was she why why should he be leading the worship uh, the 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 excursion the attack why so god is really indicating the purpose of worship the purpose of praise and worship it is not only worshiping god it has a spiritual warfare dimension to it there is something that needs to happen in worship god wants to, to be done in the body of Christ. So it is really important for us to understand the background in such a way. So when you're leading the, the church here, really in essence, you're generals, army generals. So if you, if you are dressed as an army general and you're not calling God's people to warfare, are you really doing your work? No. So it's really important to understand the background and the purpose of, of uh, worship. Not only that. Okay, let's go to the second one. Um, Judah 1.19. This gives us even a clearer understanding. Now the Lord was with Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had iron chariots. Isn't that ironic? I mean, look, God was with Judah but Judah was able to accomplish something and not able to accomplish another thing. Are you too tired? I'm sorry. You here? I didn't lose you somewhere, did I? Okay. Where were they victorious? On the mountains. Where did they lose? Okay. Where is praise easy to do? <laughs> So you see that? So they forgot to worship in the valley. So they lost. <laughs> These truths are going to give you a material to work with as you're planning your worship in the body of Christ. When do we worship? How do we worship? So this is important. I'm leaving. We don't have enough time. Kings chapter 3, verse 15. But now get me a musician. Why? When the musician played, the Lord energized him, or the heavens were open to him. This was a prophet. He came to ask him what God's will was, and he said that I cannot just tell you God's will. I need assistant. Give me a music player. That will usher me into the presence of the Lord. Then I will hear from the Lord and let you know. Praise God. So it releases a prophetic anointing as we worship. Not only a warfare, but it releases prophetic anointing. We start knowing the mind of God as we worship. We start seeing things clear. First Chronicles 25.3 from the uh, sons of Jeduthun. Um, many names there, six in all, under the supervision of their father, Jeduthun, who prophesied as he played the harp, giving thanks and praise to the Lord. We know that prophetic dimension is unlocked when we worship. Okay? Worship pattern. Okay, this is the, the, the meat of our our time together here. What is the pattern then? 
1 Samuel 10, 5 to 6 gives us a glimpse of this pattern. Afterward, you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine gar garrison is, and it shall be as soon as you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high places with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. This is Samuel instructing Saul, the first king of Israel. Okay? Listen to me. This is, this is just, let me, let me see your face here. This is the central message that I have for you. As, as a prophet of God, he anointed him already. God said that this is the man that I have in, in mind. Anoint him. So he has already done that. But this is in addition to the anointing of kingship. He says that your anointing will be complete when you meet up with the worshiping team coming from the mountaintop. I find that very, very, very interesting from the scripture. Okay? In many kings' case, the anointing alone was something that carried the purpose. But in Saul's case... Because it wasn't the choice of God, it was elected by human. He needed another dimension to get into to understand the purpose that God had for him. Samuel said that you will be changed into another man when you enter into praise and worship. Okay? But the pattern for them to be able to do that. He was referring to a particular group of people that were doing a certain pattern to be effective in this work. So the expression is that they were coming from the mountaintop. The expression is that the garrison of the Philistines were right there at the bottom of the mountain. These are elements of worship. And he's giving him the right pattern. When they use the right pattern, the right power came after the worship, that would change people's heart. You hear? It's very important to understand this. It's a very specific pattern that God is trying to impart to the body of Christ, the prophetic ministry. This is how things work. And please hear me again. I'm not endorsing any of this in that. That's not what I'm doing. The pattern is what we're doing. The pattern is then the what is in, in, in the front of your, your handout. There is three sections. The elevation section. The mountaintop experience section. The uh, whatever, okay, coming down. Let's call it that. The coming down section on the other side. You see the handcuff right there at the bottom. That is the Philistines' garrison. The enemy wants to put us back into bondage after worship. So the, the worship team goes through this pattern to be powerful enough to affect what the enemy is doing at the bottom of the mountain. So basically, this is what we're, we're talking about here. How do we do that is the question then. 
What is, what is the experience of climbing up the mountain? What is the experience of mountaintop? What is the experience of coming down? Why is it so effective that the man of God, the prophet, is saying that it needs to be done this way? That's the kind of group that you need to seek to have the transference of the spirit, the anointing, to make you a different person. Okay? Three main lessons in there. Um, the place of worship in the kingdom. Okay? The purpose of Sam was instruction, going down the, the outline here, to, uh, for Saul to learn how to overcome the Philistines. Remember, Saul was anointed in the time that the Philistines were against the Israelites. They have subjugated them for many years. So the anointing needs to be transferred into conquering the enemy. But in this picture of the worship, where was the enemy? At the foot of the mountain. So when he sees it pictorially, he sees there's a group of people that are coming up the mountain, down the mountain, and conquering the Philistines without any army, without any combat. They were conquering in the spirit realm. So the prophet wanted Samuel to see that in the same power to be transferred over to him so that when he looks at the physical Philistines, he has already won it in the spirit. <laughs> so that, that, that's the imagery. So what are we doing with our people? We're doing the same thing for our people, but one is battling cancer. One is ba battling uh, uh, economic problem, family problem, brokenness. So what we are taking them through is that as we are doing the pattern, we're, we're showing them in the spirit realm how to overcome their problem before they even face it in the physical. So in the spirit realm, they experience with us as the worship team is leading this. We're carrying them as it is on our back. We elevate, meet with God on mountaintop experience, come down declaring the goodness of God. They've already won the enemy in the spirit realm. As they walk out of here, they already know how to speak to their problems. This is the main thing of what we are advocating in, in, in the pattern. It's important, but have you noticed there's always disconnect between the worship team and the people that are worshiping? I, I you know, for lack of uh, uh, time, I didn't, I wanted a, a video to show you in Ethiopian culture how it is done, this, this thing that we talk about. It's just an amazing thing. Some, someday in the future, I'll show you how um, there is always interaction between the worship leaders and the people. The people have things to bring into the worship. I've only found that to be absent in the Western culture. I don't know why. I really don't know why. If you read your scriptures, uh, the psalmists say that with a special voice, give thanks to the Lord. In our culture, we have it. That's a special sound that we give praise to God. So when the congregation joins with that noise, we know that we are carrying them in a certain level. With dance, worship the Lord. It's called ecclesiastical shepshaba. So the people that we're leading joins in. 
So there is contribution of people with the worship team as we are ascending the mountain. But in this culture, I don't, I don't know how you make them join in. <laughs> Seriously, I don't know. See, see, this is what we need to break through this pattern. I don't know how you do it, but this is your job to seek the Lord on. But there has to be an interaction when you know that the congregation is joining in, in the journey with you. Whether lifting hands or praises in a different way, there has to be some sort of, this is what I bring to add to the worship experience. Okay? So th that's your assignment. But I'm just saying that in, in my culture, there's so many different ways of showing this. For example, hand clapping. We're a pentatonic uh, 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 musical scale in Ethiopia. The beats and the, the worships are always on the, on the drum beat. So you, you hear the church worship without music and hand clapping. You would think that you'd be in heaven. Seriously, the rhythm that it creates, an amazing experience. That, that puts you into a, into a spiritual ecstasy as you travel up the mountain and down on the other side. So I'm really calling for this to, to start happening here. I don't think really God is excluding the Western culture from worship. I think it, he's leaving it up to us to say that because I see this pattern in the scripture, Lord, help us create that here. How can we bring our people, carry them up the mountain in, on the other side there? Okay? I'm not going to dwell on this a lot because of time. Then let's go to the next page, uh, the three main areas. One is the place of worship in the kingdom. Um, the second one is uh, first step of warfare. Nope, did I jump? I think I jumped a page. The second is the place of elevation in the life of a Christian. And I don't know how many agree that elevation, spiritual elevation is important in worship. Just, just show me your hands. Yes. Spiritual worship cannot be complete on a plain level. It is always a journey towards God. It's always elevation. So you came right here. You cannot continue worship to the end at this level unless you are disconnected. It's always increase. So what happens in the spiritual elevation is the main thing, okay? Um, uh, a quick verse. This is very important. So flip your, flip your page. Page 3, Exodus 24, 9 to 10. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, the 70 of the elder of Israel. They saw God of Israel. What did they do? They went up. After going up, what did they do? They saw God. Elevation is very important. In fact, God in the Old Testament is fighting against this. These... Uh, um, um, uh, Idols were occupying mountaintops and say that we're gods. God in the Old Testament is against that. 
That elevation only belongs to me. Destroy all the high places of my people, God says to the prophets. So even the idols are claiming elevation as, as a sign of them being God. So for us, it is really important to, to, to monitor that in the people that we're helping if they are taking off, if they're elevating as we worship. It's very important to understand this. Because elevation allows you to see God at the very top. That's a mountain experience, the second position there. Okay, let me give you Luke cha um, um, chapter 9. No, no, uh, up uh, Matthew 17. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was what? And look, he gives them elevation. And he shows them who he is. The same man, God-man, that they've been walking with, now on mountaintop, they see in surprise because his divine nature came out because of elevation. It's very important. Elevation is very important. That's where we see God. Revelation 4.1, after these things I looked, and behold, the doors standing open in heaven, the first voice which I had heard, uh, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place in the future. You go up into heaven, you see God. You see the God's plan. It's known fact. Okay? Third point, the place of a spiritual warfare in advancing the kingdom. We talked about that. There has to be when you come on the other side of the mountain, there is always facing with the enemy. Let me just uh, read uh, Luke chapter 9, 37 and 39. You remember the story when the, uh, Jesus and the three disciples came down from the mountain? What, what did they find at the bottom of the... You remember the story? The demoniac. The father came and said, look, the nine disciples, I asked them to cast the enemy out, of, of Satan out. They couldn't do it. They were battling with something at the foot of the mountain. But these guys who have experienced God as, as God on the top came down. And naturally, Jesus said, uh, <laughs> it's time, your time is up. You got to go. The enemy went. So when we come down from mountaintop experience, we always, always see we're coming into our natural state. Problems will await at the foot of the mountain. Children are the same way. <laughs> You worship, you come down, bad kid is a bad kid still at the foot of the mountain. So it is very important how you experience God on the mountaintop for you to deal with the problem down here. If we don't allow our people to experience that, why would they be coming to church? Really? Is it an idol worship? Dead God? No wonder the philosophers are saying our God is dead. Because they don't see any activity. They don't see any healing in the church. So it is really important for us to understand that. The application, jump into a page. Okay, the rest you can read. The verses are there. So I don't want to bore you here. There are two elements in this then in totality. One, the person in the worship team. Okay, there are three things about that person. One is spiritual mindedness that is required to be in the worship team. 
Second, musical skill. Of course, I mean, this is a given. We're dealing with music. And third, organization is what is needed. So why, why is this important? When we look at the other parts of the mountain, the three sections of the mountain, it starts making sense. Okay, especially organization is, is very important in, in, in the worship team. And uh, I challenge you to study the, the Asaph division of the Levitical um, priesthood. There were the worshipers. How it was important for them to practice, to organize themselves in different divisions, the fasting, the prayer, how they approach God. The Asaph division was valuable for the life of the Israelites. So I, I'll leave that to you to study. So the, 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 the other dimension is, of course, the stations, the three stations on the mountain, initiation, visualization, and realization on the other side of the mountain. Okay, the practical aspect of the pattern. I mean, let me hit this and then pause for questions and answers and how you would want to react to this teaching. Okay? What is the pattern? Number one, the initiation stage. I think the numbers are a little bit off there. In the initiation stage, uh, in all the three stages, musical skills is needed. So forget about that. I want to I give you the doctrinal truth of the initiation stage. What it means in this, in this level is that we are bringing people and reminding them what God has done for them. That's the initiation as we are elevating up the mountain, ascending up. We are letting the songs that we choose in this, in this stage is, is justification-oriented songs. The blood of Jesus, he paid for you. You're set free, okay? The shame that people are carrying in will be transformed or exchanged with what God has done. So this is where the organization kicks in, how, how to organize our songs, okay? If you, again, uh, go to read the, the Psalms, there's a ch uh, chunk of the Psalms that is labeled the uh, Songs of Ascending, okay? It, it helps them ascend. That's why they call them Songs of Ascend. So that's what we call organization in the, in the worship team. When you hear a, a new song in, in, your, in your mental file, you start filing it, where does it fit in one of these three stations? Where can I use that song? Where would it be most effective in transporting the people that I lead worship into these different stations as we go up. In the church, um, before the branch, I was leading the Oromo church. We have a file about this big. All our songs are filed under different stations. So worship leaders come, and they, they go through the songs station by station, and then pray about it, and whatever the Lord leads them from those stations, they pick songs. And, and once they pick the 
three songs from, from the first station, two songs from the second station, three songs from the last station. They put it together in such a way that we start ascending, meet God on top, and come descending with an effective uh, work being accomplished in the life of the worshiper. So the doctrine understanding is very important. The visualization, of course, uh, proclamation of the essence of God, who God is, because what are we doing on mountaintop? We're seeing God as he is. We're meeting with him. So the song should lead us in expressing that visually. God, you're holy. God, you're, you're, you're magnificent. You're this and that. That gives me a visual, visual understanding of the mountaintop experience with my God. How I present it, how it is put together matters. Of course, in the real, realization uh, point, I'm coming down from meeting God. Now I am bragging on him. Now I am proclaiming victory. The second song today that you are, you are all, you are the God. There's no stronger than you. There's no mightier than you. That is the descending song in this pattern. So I'm talking to my enemy. There's no Goliath is waiting at the foot, uh, foot of the mountain. I'm coming down. God is bigger than you. He's mightier than you. I don't care how you talk to me about, but my God is bigger. That's how I descend. Okay, it's confession. It's the truth, faith that is inside me from the experience of God on the mountaintop comes out as proclamation. The church joins in. Oh, this, this, is, this, is a, this is a mighty place, guys. Um, one, of, one of the advantages of following this, uh, this uh, pattern for us has been bringing in a lot of uh, ministry positions together. How we set it up was that as we are climbing up, experience coming down halfway of the coming down prayer team jumps in okay they have their position mics are ready as we are proclaiming in the worship team is bringing it for landing the prayer team will pick it up that's when we start praying start proclaiming the victory of god over all sickness it's a mighty thing how god starts his acting because faith has already resided in the heart of God's people from coming down. As we conclude with the prayer, the pastor steps in for preaching. Beautifully done. Beautifully done. So there is no more struggle as we hear the word of God. The hearts are open. The environment is clean. Things have already taken place. The battle has been won. So the word of God completely goes out again with faith. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. So basically, this is, this is a, um, the pattern looks like that. I'm, I'm almost done. Things to consider here. One is a continuation. Because uh, in, in the realm of the spirit, choppiness is something that kills the work of the spirit. Okay? I don't know how you do it musically, but for us, one of the counting of the beat was also the organizational part. So anything that fits in the same beat 
songs will be collected together. So transitionally, we're not missing a bit as we transition from one song to another. Prayer in between, allowing the Holy Spirit, the aroma of God to saturate a little bit, but it is not choppy. We're not finishing one, starting one, finishing one, starting one. That is one thing that we need to be aware of when we're dealing with the work of the Spirit. Continuation to the end is very important. How you set that up, I don't know. The leaders may want to reorganize what other activities are done on the pulpit. And the second one is man manipulation of music. When I was uh, talking to the, to the leadership here, one of the examples that I gave them was drums. Okay? Uh, if, you, if you study any, any um, cult movement, any demonic worship areas, I don't know if you have ever observed that, but I've done so many in Ethiopia. And one of their instruments of entering ecstasy is drums. Drums are powerful. Powerful means to take us into the presence of God, the presence of any spirit. Okay, the, the Jamaicans, if you see, that's how the voodoo is conducted through drums. You go to a higher level when you play drums. In the spirit realm, drums are powerful. How we use it, how we set it up, it's very important to, 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 to really pay attention to how God created certain musics to have certain power in, in trumpet in the in the bible anything to do with war is related to trumpet because it affects the spirit of the horse it affects the spirit of the fighter as well so god has really really woven in instruments for for a specific area of of what we do so maybe as a worship team one of the things that you need to be able to include in your worship group are these specific areas of music that you can advance um, the work of God. So um, holding, uh, which is flow, that's the last one. Listening to the Holy Spirit, repeating things, getting out of words that don't need to be repeated. Uh, one thing that I have noticed, this is my last thing here. One thing I have noticed is when we are leading worship here most of the time, that we want to lead the worship as it has been written or composed. It doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't have to be that way. The composer could sing it five times. It doesn't mean that we need to repeat it five times. So that's the flow part, okay? You see what the Holy Spirit is doing with the group of people. You repeat what the Holy Spirit wants to repeat, and your mind, your heart is in that. In closing, I think building the right worship team is going to be a challenge. It is going to be a challenge because it, it requires, above everything, the earthly skills. It requires the readiness of spirit to be in the worship team. Um, I'm going to say it as it is. One person with unconfessed sin would block 
every visitation of the Holy Spirit. One person in the worship team. Doesn't matter what capacity. Long time ago, God has given me a pictorial, a, a, a vision of how these things work, and I'll finish with this. I don't know if you've, it may be way too, too long for you to understand this. In, in Africa, uh, lightnings hit any higher ground. So the, the, that, that's a huge problem, kills people. So what, what villagers do is that they get together and they erect a metal pipe um, on the highest ground of the area. So what it does is that the, it grounds the lightning. It seeks that metal rod and hits it and, and saves a lot of the, uh, the, the villagers from being hit by, by a lightning. And the Lord was giving me that vision. He says that the worship team is like that rod. Okay? It is grounding the glory of God from heaven. But if you erected a plastic pole up on the mountain, what good is that going to do against lightning? Nothing. The, the grounding process needs to be a conductor. Conductor that transmits the power of electricity to a higher degree. So the lightning will be attracted to that conductor much more than any other ground. That's what a worship team is. Worship team needs to pray together. They need to fast. They need to work as a team. They need to listen to each other. They need to receive rebuking from the leaders. If you don't function that well, Skills is not going to put you in a worship team. It's a deeper process. So it's with broken heart that I'm bringing you this message. So the pattern is not only going to be functional if you live as you please. It's only going to be effective when your lives are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. That is not happening. My recommendation to you is to talk to the leadership, put it on hold. I need to get my life cleaned up. I need to be in the process of opening myself as a vessel of honor. That's the only way that this will work. So I don't want you to go out there and try the, the pattern without the preparedness of heart. It won't work, I'll tell you today. Don't, don't bother trying it. God bless you.